0: This episode of the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. What I'd really like to do is talk about fresh starts and new beginnings. This week has seen, for me personally, I'm just going to talk on a personal level. And if you've followed me from the from the New Age days, or if you've known me in boxing for a long time, you'll know you'll know two things. One, I love the journey Isaac Chamberlain's been on. Two, I've always been intrigued to see what Ellie Scottney could do in the pro game. Well, actually, I was more intrigued to see what she could do in the Olympics. But Olympics, pros, all of it. And to see those two, who are probably separated by no more than two years, man. One young man, one young woman, who have stayed dedicated to their craft for so long. And to see them finally find a position where they're, where they're happy in the sport. You know, this has been a week of positivity and light for both of them. And I think it's just worth touching on you know, how two different stories can lead two individuals to that same place of spiritual happiness and excitement. I want to touch on Ellie first because I think Ellie's a really, really interesting case study because of all the boxers we talk about, your Clarissa Shields, your Katie Taylors, uh, even Savannah Marshall and so forth, I always call them the, in terms of British boxers, they're kind of like the the second wave. For me, the first wave is Jane Couch. Uh, Kathy Brown, the ladies that really kind of, you know, kicked the door down as soon as female boxing was allowed to happen in the UK. And we've always got to respect the Jane Couches and the Kathy Browns of this game. We, we do because, you know, they have stories and they've been on events that, that deserve our respect. I don't believe they were paid fairly. I understand that. But they are pioneers in that sense. The second wave are those women who, who took up boxing, in some cases prompted by Jane Couch, in some cases prompted by a family love of the sport. But they took up the sport not knowing what they could do with it, not knowing if it would just be a a fun sideline where you could have a few fights and, you know, you'd have a decent career of it, or if you could take it to another level. And that, that's your Nicola Adams and so forth. They got the opportunity in 2012 to showcase their skills. And that's where you see the third wave of British female boxing coming through. And this is the, the era I was most excited by. So what we have in this third era are young female boxers who now know that they can box in the Olympics, they can win a medal, and they can transition into the pros, build a profile, and hopefully make a living in the sport. Now that feels like a, oh, uh, well, you know, whatever. That's a seismic shift in the collective psyche in female athletes. All of a sudden, now you think, I can do something in boxing. I don't necessarily have to go and look for another sport if I'm passionate about boxing. And that's fantastic. It's a huge, it's that psychological shift that says, actually, a lot of you young ladies, whether you come from a troubled background or you just love the sport, you can walk into a gym and within a couple of years, you might just be an international boxer if you dedicate yourself to it. And from there, you can make a career. Because there are opportunities to box on televised shows as a female boxer. So, this third wave, you're seeing some of the products of the third wave now. Shannon Courtney would be an example of that. Um, a young lady who might be on her way soon, Ebony Jones. Shona Whitwell, a lot of people won't know, but Shona Whitwell, daughter of Steve Whitwell, who's a hell of a trainer up in St. Ives in Cambridgeshire, super talented daughter such an absolutely special Caroline Dubois um, from first-hand experience, having worked with her briefly a few years ago, special, just special. So in control of her emotions, feelings, so keen to learn and a fantastic technician. The physical strength seems to be coming. She's special. But the focus of this discussion today will be Ellie Scottney. So Ellie's one of that generation. And she's not just in the group. She kind of led the group, particularly from a London perspective. So when she started boxing out the Lynn, we were all looking at her. And she, I think she was in the gym around the same time as General O'Reilly, who went on to marry Ted Cheeseman, as we all know. But you looked at young Ellie and you were hearing all the talk and you'd pop down to the Lynn to go and see, you know, Terry and the guys. And you see this young lady just grafting away with Sam Mullins. You've got to give Sam credit for how far Ellie Scott come. And so you're watching this young lady grow and evolve. And so by 2016, you know, you've got, a, you've got a rare talent who should be boxing internationally. And so the club, she was at the Lynn, split from England boxing. She goes off to Nemesis and then she starts to build her profile competitively and draw the attention of GB. And the one thing I've always respected about Ellie is that she's stuck with Sam Mullins from when she started till now. It's hard, right? I genuinely believe when you stick with the person that brought you into the sport, you go further. I, I've trained people. And they've gone on to do other things with other people. Varying degrees of success. But I am 1,000% confident. Had they stuck with me, they would have hit higher levels. Because momentum is everything in sport. A bad coach you trust is better than an amazing coach you don't trust. That's just the reality of it. Because coaches play such a minimal role, they play a management role. As a trainer, really what I trade in is a bit of boxing intelligence and a bit of emotional intelligence. What I don't trade in is swinging leather. That's kind of what the fighters do, which is 90% of what boxing is. My job is just to make sure that other 10% is so amazing, it becomes a differentiator. So you end up, you know, Ellie sticks to to the program, stays with Sam, ends up in the GB system, deservedly. Deservedly in a cohort of equally talented young ladies. Like I said, these ladies out of the third wave, I am confident will take British female boxing to another level because they've all come up together. They all seem to be friendly with each other, uh, supportive of each other. And if that carries on, which is hard in professional boxing they'll They'll take it to another level now, do I know what happened in the g b setup I know bits and bobs, I hear bits and bobs, but I think for someone like Ellie, who's very south london you know home family stuff like that's really important to then go up to Sheffield and be away for a while and also be in a super intense environment where you're required to do things that you never thought were part of the boxing journey. And so I think she was unhappy there. I, I can't really talk too much to it. She might come on this show one day and then explain her side of the story. But you could tell she wasn't happy and you could tell in the performances she wasn't boxing with the freedom that she normally does. And I think that probably prompted the decision to, to turn over before the Olympics. Could she have made the Olympics? I think so sometimes you have conversations with boxers behind the scenes on, you know, where you think their direction is in terms of skills, techniques with her. It was like, no, she's fundamentally sound. She can actually box. All she needs is that process of maturation, physical maturation experience in terms of, you know, you just mature as you have more rounds fighting, more rounds sparring. She would just get better, but she has a perfect platform to excel. She's lovely. I'm, Every time I think of Ellie, I always think of the young lady who used to come down to Fitzroy Lodge. So humble, respectful, you know, when Sam would bring Harry Mullins down to work and Ellie would just be there, engaged with everyone, but was humble. It wasn't a look at the superstar I am. Not really, it was just very humble. And that's a very likable quality about her. Pride in her family, pride in her faith. She has so many things going for her. And the only thing I always worry is, Because she's so humble and she's so modest, the world doesn't get to hear about this. You wouldn't know about half the stuff I've just said if I hadn't said it. She won't say it. So my question then becomes, who's going to be her mouthpiece? And maybe this is why signing with Hearn is fantastic. If Hearn can do the talking for her, and I really hope he does do the talking for her like he has for Shannon Courtney, and let her do the performing in the ring, he might have a star on his hands because I just... And I'm slightly biased because I really want her to do well, but I legitimately think she's talented. And within boxing, you'll struggle to find someone that doesn't agree with that statement. But as we well know, taking talent and turning it into a world champion, not always easy. But talent-wise, I'd put her in the same bracket as a Terry Harper, comfortably. You know, I saw her box, I think it was the Italian Olympic medalist in a tournament tail end of last year. And she was unlucky to lose. She just lost on experience, to be honest with you. And I think if they fought again a year or two from now, Ellie would do a lot more damage. But I'm just, I am buzzing for her. So I implore you guys, you know, find her on social media, follow her. She's, she's interesting on social media. I find her interesting. Find her on social media, get behind her, because for all the criticism female boxing has received for not being a great product, not being this, not being that, Ellie Scottney will be at the vanguard of the women that will make you believers. Mark my words on that. It'll be her, it'll be Shona Whitwell, Ebony Jones, Caroline Dubois, look, even Lauren Price. I'm going to put Lauren Price in that mix because deservedly so. Sandy Ryan as well. Let's not forget Sandy Ryan. All these ladies are the vanguard of this third wave of female boxing. And before I, there will be a fourth wave. And the fourth wave will come when boxing becomes lucrative enough. That the super athletes, so the women that go into netball, the women that go into rugby, the women that go into football, now come into boxing. When we're getting the, the pick of the bunch. Then we'll have something special. But guys, please get behind Eddie Scottney. Let's support her. I mean, she's with Matchroom. It's the perfect platform on which to build your career. And let's see what she goes on to do. So so early signing with Matchroom brings me on. It's a neat segue into a man that Matchroom forgot, a man that Matchroom never loved, a man that never seemed to fulfill his potential under Eddie Hearn, Isaac Chamberlain. Now, here's my disclaimer. I'm not going to blame Eddie Hearn for anything that happened to Isaac or Matchroom for this very important reason. I don't think Eddie Hearn had a personal relationship such that he could Feel One way or the other about Isaac And if you go back to the podcast Isaac and I did, I did say that's something to learn from Always be in the ear of your promoter Your promoter has to know you as a person Because this is still a It's a sport of human relationships However we try and say it's a business It's really a sport of human relationships And the stronger you feel about the people you work with The more you're willing to do for them Yeah, this week we all We all got to hear the great news that Isaac has signed A multi-fight deal with Mick Hennessy and I was, I was excited. I think I've been reasonably close enough to events to know that it was coming. So it's been interesting to see the reaction of people that haven't seen this coming. And I find it strange that people would even be negative. Yeah. At its highest level, here's a boxer who's being given another chance. I'm This is the same boxer who, apart from one fight, and that was the Akoli fight, has always entertained the fans. A boxer who's always engaged with the fans. A boxer who's given you things. You, you remember Isaac for things. You remember the CV in the Hackney Gazette. You remember the confrontation at York Hall. You remember the interviews he's given. You remember the performances. You remember the Luke Watkins fight. You remember the Wadi Camacho fight. Isaac's delivered for the boxing community. He really has. And... Sometimes I think the criticism's unfair, the negativity is not needed. Give the young man a chance. Now, I know that there were other options. There was an option to box exclusively out of the US. You know, the foundations of which you can debate, but the, option, the offer was there and it was real. People wanted to work with Isaac in the States. The commercial reality is, Isaac's just another cruiserweight in the States, number one. Number two, cruiserweight's not a sexy division in the US, more importantly. But it is here. Now, once you establish that cruiserweight's a European division, you have to be back in Europe. Isaac isn't stupid. I think Isaac's been through the mill enough to understand that he needs a platform. He needs a platform where there's going to be a degree of spotlight on him. He also needs that pressure of being the face of the promotion. And I think that's what McHennessy offers. He offers a Channel 5 slot. He offers 3 million viewers we know. As a baseline, 3 million. And that in itself offers an opportunity for Isaac. It gets him familiar with British fans again. Even outside of boxing, there's an opportunity to grow the the Isaac Chamberlain proposition outside of that. He gets to fight four times a year, and I think he does need to fight four times a year for the next couple of years just to rebuild that momentum. And I think he can do that. But it also means, I love that, if you can hear that in the background, that's my washing machine. I could have planned this better. And if you snap back and you look, and you look at where Isaac's at at the moment, We we'll just let it go. <laughs> God, no. So if you look at where Isaac is at the moment, where Isaac is is he's a guy who whose name's big enough in the British sport that he can box on Channel Five. Like David Hay could box on Dave, and we would watch. Now, what's the commercial opportunity of doing that? I don't know. That's for his advisors to work with him to understand. But him fighting on a Channel Five show for me is preferable to fighting on a Facebook stream on a matchroom show is better than maybe not even being recorded at all on a Frank Warren show. So is it a win for Isaac? Absolutely. You know, the next hater comment's is going to be, well, he's got to pay Ted X amount percent of whatever he earns anyway. Fine. You know, another year of having to do that. And then he's a free man. It's a small price to pay for the longer term goal. And then in Mick Hennessy, he has a guy who, for all of Mick's faults, and I'm going to hold my hands up here and I'm going to say this. I thought there was no way back for Mick Hennessy. After he lost Huey, after he lost Savannah, I didn't think there was a way back for Mick Hennessy. And not because Mick doesn't know talent. Mick Hennessy could go and sign 10 boxers and they'd be the 10 most talented boxers in this country. He has an eye for talent. Mick also has an ability to navigate you. Through the governing bodies to get your title shots. I just always wondered whether Mick could commercially build a real commercial monster. Could Mick really build someone to the point that they were so successful with Mick you wouldn't have to leave? And I don't think we've established that yet. So it'll be interesting to see what Mick and Isaac can do together. And I do see there's a Mick and Isaac thing because. And I say this to young boxers, when you sign a contract, that's just the start. The promoter going to manage you in relation to your commitments to him. And you've got to manage the promoter in relation to his commitments to you. When you do that, you have a real partnership. And that's when you get your growth. And I'm, so I'm intrigued to see what they do with Isaac. First fight's an eight-rounder, March 28th. I'd like to see him stabilize doing a couple of eight-rounders, step up to a ten and then put him in position to fight for, for something meaningful. You know, Think about how long he's been in the wilderness for, and this guy hasn't stopped training. He hasn't stopped dedicating himself. He's still on weight. He's still sparring top-level guys. He's putting the work into Miami. If you follow some of the videos he's been putting out there, it's been a hard slog. There have been no luxuries in Miami. It's just been work. Remember that. No Range Rovers. No club nights. Just hard work with top-level guys. You know, the question I get a lot is, is he going to train with Angel Fernandez? (laughs) The answer is I don't know, and it's not my business. You know, I like Angel. I think Angel's a good trainer. I think Angel's a good guy. I like Isaac. He's a good fighter. If they train together, awesome. If they don't, awesome. It's not my business, and I have to be respectful enough to go. They'll decide to do what they decide to do. But I'm happy for him on a human level because when all you want to do is box the last thing you want to lose is that ability to box for the fans. And he's got that back now. So I can only ask you guys to just get behind him. Because, you know, we've struggled to get behind Lawrence, which is disappointing. I think Lawrence is a class actor. I think Lawrence is a really good guy. You know, we've struggled to get behind Richie React Paul because, you know, we're, we're always quick to find fault with people. All we have left is Isaac and probably Jack Massey as cruiserweights we can get behind, but we need to get behind all of them. Throw Chris Billum-Smith into that mix. Craig Glover, Tommy McCarthy. Throw everyone into this mix and go, guys, we just want you lot to fight each other because we want to see big men with skill scrapping it out. That's how I look at it at the moment. And I think Isaac's a key part of that because everyone sees the commercial value in fighting Isaac. And so the fights should come. If people are really embracing the opportunities, you know, to extend their career, Isaac's natural fight. So we'll see where that goes, but I'm I'm 100% behind him. I hope you guys are too. And you're know, fantastic. You know, I'm biased and I'm going to say this like I think for the for the first 20 minutes of this podcast, I've been 100% biased in favor of the subjects. It's hard to be objective when you've kind of come up with these guys. And I'm sure the the Twitter feedback, the Insta feedback, will be a more measured response than I can give, and I accept that. But that's fantastic. Good luck to these guys. They get to live their dream, and now it's just about how bad they want it. Before I sign off, I just want to touch on the previous episode. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, listen to the Josh Warrington one, because I think it's probably the most truthful representation of what happened in the Josh Warrington situation and it's been confirmed through the back channels across you know both sides of that discussion so I'm happy with what was out there you know people were broadly in agreement with it the issue I have is I keep getting questions back and people see this as a oh you're slating heady because you love Frank and it's not like that so I'm going to respond to British Boxing Blog who asked a very It was an interesting question, but I didn't get it. And his question was, I don't understand why Eddie Hearn needs world champions, but Frank Warren doesn't. So let me just give that a response. When you are working for a digital broadcast channel that specializes in sport, that has made a billion-dollar bet, well, we use a billion advisedly, but that has made a billion-dollar bet on boxing as a sport. The least I would demand from the promoters involved would be world title belts. At least have a metric that says we have more world titles than any other platform. And I don't think Eddie Hearn can say that right now. So Eddie Hearn actually does need world champions more than Frank does. Because if you look at Frank's direction of travel, Frank's direction of travel, as I said before, Yard, Dubois, Maybe Joyce or one other. They're the three guys he's going to push forward with. Eventually, these guys will have world championships. And then Frank ascends to another level. But he's building the capability behind that as well so that he can build fuller cards based on these guys winning world championships. Hearn's a lot further in his development cycle where Hearn's trying to commercialize what he has quickly. That means you need world champions. You need world champions to be in unification fights. You need world champions to be in grudge matches. Whatever it is, you need those belts. So Hearn's need is different. Now, in terms of the battle for Yorkshire, absolutely. You, they both need Yorkshire. So this isn't about world titles. I think British Boxing Blog probably asked the wrong question because it's actually more about, is the Battle of Yorkshire the Battle of the North of England? I think it is. So Warrington could do thirty thousand, and then you you fill a card based on what Steffi Ball has, I guess. But who does Frank get? Frank's got a Josh Warrington card in Leeds. Who does he get? like Steffi's hoovered everyone up. so now you're having to pull guys from Steve Wood or whoever. It's going to be hard for Frank, so Warrington became a headache he didn't need it was It was millions in investment he could put into. Guys who are geographically closer to him, guys that he's had from day one, guys that trust him. So Frank's just said, if I have scarce capital, I'm going to put it in things that I've created, not things that I've bought. So once you do that, then you say, I don't need a guy like Josh Warrington. Well, not at the price that he comes with. So that's the difference. Are the promoters battling for Yorkshire? Absolutely. They're battling for the north of England? Absolutely. Does Frank need Josh Warrington's the world champion? No, because he's got no one to match him with. Does Eddie Hearn need him? Yes, because he can say, look, that's another world champion in the DAZN stable. Has he got anyone to match him with? Kind of. Do you want to see any of those fights? Probably not. So I just wanted to address that. And then just anyone, anyone that says, you know, your Warrington pod was anti-Hearn. No, it wasn't. I think Hearn was smart in taking Yorkshire because he's taken the north of England back. And I can see him trying to make a push into Scotland at some point. But when we strip it down and we look at it, and I said this on the podcast Frank solved the problem, Eddie solved the problem. Frank's problem was I've got this expensive overhead that doesn't bring me anything back. Eddie was I don't have anyone to anchor all this work I'm doing up north. So Eddie's got Warrington who can anchor everything, northeast, northwest, all of that. And now Frank's got extra money to invest in Yard, Dubois and Joyce. I think everyone wins on this one. That's meant to be the message of the podcast. Josh Warrington is a boxer that everybody wants, but not everybody needs. And on that note, I'll bid you guys a good day. Take care.